0: The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. Supporting
1: companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and
0: welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, July 6th. I'm Kieran Hancock. And on this week's show, we'll be looking at the continued fallout from the UK's Brexit vote last month. I'll shortly be joined on the line from Britain by BBC journalist and Irishman Joe Lynham. And later, I'll be talking to the Chief Executive of Board, Bia, Aidan Cotter, and to Larry Murrin of Dawn Farm Foods about what Brexit might mean for the Irish food industry. And to the Irish Times reporter, Owen Burke-Kennedy. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. It's also available from our website. But we'll start with Joe Lynham, who's going to give us a run through of the latest developments on the ground in the UK following the shock referendum results. Joe, thanks for taking the call. Uh, I I guess the reverberations from Brexit continue. Uh, We've seen this week sterling fall to a a 31-year low, Uh, a number of large property funds barring investors from seeking redemptions. The governor of the Bank of England has signalled a future drop in interest rates to a a new record low. And even EasyJet, uh, one of the biggest airlines operating in the UK at the minute, has said that it will will seek an airline operator certificate in an EU country to try and counter the threat to its business. Post Brexit, we also have rumours abounding about uh, large financial services companies and other multinationals possibly moving their headquarters. Uh, some of them to to Ireland. Um, so, if anything, the the uncertainty around Brexit, uh, even though we're you know a couple of weeks on from it, uh, it just seems to be gaining momentum.
2: Yeah, it, it, there's there's no question that we are in um, one of the most uncertain times that I can recall since the financial crisis. Uh, I suppose it is legitimate to compare it to the financial crisis in 08 because banks were falling like nine pins and um, people really didn't know whether their bank was going to survive and whether the financial system was going to survive. There are a different set of challenges now, um, but make no mistake about it, all the dice have been thrown in the air and nobody knows for sure where they're going to land. And it's the old cliche, if people don't know what the policy is, they are not sure how to invest. And they are dumping pound sterling, as you say, and they are dumping property portfolios because there is a view that property prices – probably well exorbitant, too exorbitant anyway, especially in the London area, are um, too high. And there is a good chance that interest rates could be cut from their already record low of half of 1%. Um, suffice it to say that this is a crisis.
0: Right. And of course, the political backdrop in, uh, in times of crisis, you look to your leaders for leadership. Uh, and unfortunately, that leadership is very much lacking. David Cameron has, uh, has said he's uh, stepping down as prime minister. We now have a, a leadership campaign underway with the Tories to replace him. Uh, Labour Party are in turmoil. There's no confidence in Jeremy Corbyn as leader. Nigel Farage uh, seems to be stepping off the political stage as UKIP leader. Uh, and it's really, really uncertain. I mean, Theresa May looks like the favourite for um, the Tory leadership job and to be the next uh, Prime Minister. But will she be able to give the kind of leadership that the country needs at the minute?
2: Um, well, she looks home and hosed at this stage. Of course, it does need to be whittled down to two names and then they would be put out to the wider Blue Rinse set to decide uh, who will be the next leader of the Tories and automatically the Prime Minister of the country at this the most uncertain time. Theresa May may not be bubbly, um, she may not be gregarious, she may, may not even be chatty, um, but she is seen as a steady hand on the tiller and she's the longest-serving Home Secretary um, in UK history. And as such, she must have some political skills to have survived that job or just to deal with prisons and... Um, uh, wanted terrorists being deported etc 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 she's looks to be in a good place all right um as for the labor party well at a time of crisis you often need a strong um opposition party to give an alternative and that is certainly lacking and there is a chance however real uh, that the labor party will break up um and a new more center left party may emerge i, I mean it's, it's not it's not likely at the moment but if Um, If Jeremy Corbyn continues to hold out when the vast majority of his parliamentary party want shot of him, then we could have a split in the Labour Party and that would um, rearrange the political map entirely, not just post-Brexit, but it could create a new party which could be genuine contenders in the next general election. And the other unknown is, when is the next general election?
0: Well, I was just going to ask you that, actually. Yeah. I mean, what's the potential for a, a general election in the short term?
2: Well, um, assuming for for now that T- Theresa May gets the job, um, what does she do? She doesn't have the, the political legitimacy of having won a general election. She hasn't stood as prime minister mm. on her set of policies. Um, ordinarily, uh, one might go to the people and, and look for a mandate. Uh, famously, Gordon Brown didn't do that in 2007, and then the next chance the people had – to take a uh, take a view of him, uh, they booted him out unceremoniously. There is a uh, there is a new kind of fixed term parliament, so you need to have a much, it's a much higher bar to call a general election. Um, and so, I, I think that, um, there is a chance that Theresa May may say, "Well, we need steady leadership now, rather than another political uh, turmoil." And she may hold out until twenty twenty. Though I don't know um, what the ultimate will be.
0: Right, okay. And what about the triggering of Article 50? Everybody's wondering when that's going to happen, and I guess it's key because that does kind of set set you down the road to leaving, to exiting the EU.
2: Yeah, I mean yesterday I was speaking to um, uh, an ambassador of of a well-known European country in London, and uh, the guy is in shock, make no mistake about it. Um, The the diplomatic clique didn't actually believe that they would come to this um, and nor does the business community. I was at um, a stockbrokers event uh, also last night. All they were talking about was Brexit. And as for Article 50, there is so many schools of thought. But let's let's discuss uh, the school of thought that maybe it would never be triggered. Maybe an incoming administration, whoever is leading it, signals to the big companies and industry that Article 50 may never be triggered. And in that case, they could be reassured and make their investments in Britain. But that would, of course, would drive the Germans and the French and the Italians, etc., absolutely ballistic, because uh, they have to know for certain whether the Brits are coming or going. They can't have um, a threat of divorce and um, without someone actually filing, filing for a decree nisi. Uh, Joe George
0: Osborne, the Chancellor, uh, has indicated that the UK corporation tax is going to be lowered to uh, down to fifteen percent um, in the coming years. As a, as a kind of a counter to some of the uncertainty around uh, Brexit. What's the view of the British business community to that?
2: Um, well, my, my own view is that corporation tax, uh, as, as a, a proportion of the total taxation in the UK, has been falling for years and rapidly falling so that the British Exchequer is not dependent on corporation tax receipts as at all as much as it was 20 years ago. Um, when George Osborne came to power, I think it was 28 percent. It's heading for 17 percent before last week, and now it's heading for 15 percent. What it is is probably um, the first part of the negotiation that Britain will have with the rest of the EU. Um, what the Germans would really us and the French as well, would be a kind of Singapore on their doorstep except with nuclear arms, i.e. a very low taxation, you know, really capitalist country uh, with minimal um, social protections, which would be very attractive for large multinationals uh, and be a threat to potentially, you know, German big companies slipping across the North Sea and French companies and Italian companies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, So if the Brits look as if they're heading that direction, maybe the Europeans might go easy with them uh, on certain aspects of the renegotiation. But that all depends on what the Brits want. We don't know what the Brits want. Do they want EEA or some sort of Canadian trade arrangement or World Trade Organization rules? Now, British business is pretty clear. They want EEA. They want the European Economic Area, which means re- ma- remaining a member of the single market. But they must also have free mo- movement of people. And that's, and a, quite,
0: th- yeah, that's a membership that's that Norway has, uh, a link that Norway has. to the Absolutely. E- Norway,
2: Liechtenstein and Iceland have that. And uh, proportionately speaking, there's far more immigrants into Norway uh, than there is into the UK. Um, but quite a few people who voted for Brexit want, did so in the assumption that it would put a full stop behind immigration uh, from Europe, at least. And I'm not sure whether British business uh, could, you know, would tolerate a life of uncertainty, of hoping to hammer out, a new, hammer out a new Canadian-style deal or reverting to WTO rules in which automatically tariffs are set by, you know, a global organisation over which Britain has no control.
0: Uh, we should say about that Canadian trade deal, that's been underway since 2009 and it still hasn't been ratified by all the member states.
2: Yeah, and um, Lord Mandelson told me that there are 1.5 million um, pages in terms of total negotiation involved in that. 1.5 million. Uh, So that is not the kind of thing that you hammer out in 18 months. And it's also emerged this week that Britain has a dearth of trade negotiators. So it would have to, A stop the recruitment freeze that is underway in the civil service and reverse that and hire a whole load of trade negotiating experts. And these aren't people <laughs> that grow on trees. They are very specialist people, and they're at an age whereby, you know, they may not want to kind of come out of retirement to do the mother of all negotiations.
0: Sure. There's a couple of other legs to this still, Joe, if you like. One is uh, Scotland, uh, which, where are they going to go? Are they going to have another independence referendum? Nicola Sturgeon's been in Brussels trying to encourage the EU... To uh, you know, to give them to keep them within the EU, even though the UK has voted out, and Northern Ireland uh, is obviously one that's of uh, great interest to us here in the Republic, because the last thing I think people want uh, is any wobble in the peace process, uh, and nobody really wants the reinstatement of any kind of border control or customs uh, control between North and South. Are they yeah. coming up? Are these issues really coming up in the debate in Britain at the minute?
2: Northern Ireland, much less so. Absolutely much less yeah. so. There is an assumption that the Northern Ireland situation will, will, you know, bumble along for a while and there won't be any major shocks. There is an assumption that even if um, some sort of border checks are initiated, that it wouldn't disturb the free flow of traffic between north and south. The Scottish one is really interesting because poll after poll since Brexit has suggested the Scots would reverse the decision that they made in 2014, um, i.e. Uh, at least 54 percent of them, according to all the polls, would vote for an independent Scotland. We don't know how many people voted for the to keep the UK two years ago on the assumption that Scotland would remain in the EU. But now that Scotland has been dragged against its will out of the EU, quite a few people are U turning. But then there's the cultural side of things. It is now patently obvious that uh, English people decided this and they did it in full disregard for the views of other parts of the UK. Uh, and the Scots say to themselves now it's absolutely patently clear we are just simply a different group of people. We are no more united in our United Kingdom uh, than any other country.
0: OK, Joe, just finally, um, take us through the timelines on, on this. For example, uh, the new PM, the new uh, Tory leader, when, when is that likely to happen?
2: Yeah, first of September, apparently, that'll be announced. Uh, first week in September, that'll be announced. And uh, then they would have to, you know, quickly announce their um, uh, their cabinet. And then uh, they would have to get ready for the, the party conference season, which is the first week in October. Um, And then I I wouldn't be surprised if they announce a a Brexit minister or um, a secretary of state for Brexit, someone whose sole portfolio is to manage future trade relationships with Europe and the rest of the world. Um, As for Article 50, I haven't a clue. I mean, if if only we knew. I mean, Brexit, Brexit means Brexit is what Theresa May said when she announced her candidacy a week ago. But one says things in the heat of the battle of trying to get elected, and then when the civil servants get get hold of you, it might be a different story. Um, uh, As for the timeline for Article Fifty, I suspect that will have to be pushed back simply because the moment you trigger it, most advice that I'm reading about says you cannot untrigger it. You cannot withdraw it um and you start a clock a two-year process and as we've already discussed it's going to take years certainly way more than two to negotiate uh, a full new deal with 27 other member states as well as the rest of the world potentially um so uncertainty is here to stay Uh, don't expect there to be much growth in the uk economy uh, in the second half of this year and the first half of next year who knows where we will be by 2018 2019
0: okay joe lion thank you for joining us we'll take a short break now and return with a roundtable discussion on the implications of Brexit for the Irish food industry
1: At Irish Life we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow they don't have a pension plan we can help you help them Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 704 1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014.
0: Welcome back. Now, earlier today, Bord Bia hosted a conference on the likely implications of Brexit for the Irish food industry. Bord Bia CEO Aidan Cotter and Larry Murrin, uh, Chief Executive of Dawn Farm Foods, were contributors to that conference. And they join me in studio, along with Irish Times reporter Burke Kennedy, who keeps a weather eye on farming and food issues for the newspaper, and also reported this week on exchequer returns for the first half of the year. Aidan Cotter, we might start with you. Uh, you've had a couple of a weeks now to digest the implications of, of Brexit for the Irish food industry. What's it likely to mean?
1: Well, uh, first of all, I think there is a has been a reassuring sense of calm among exporters uh, following the announcement on uh, ju- uh, June twenty fourth. Uh, we undertook a survey and we uh, uh, undertook one to one dialogue uh, with our uh, clients uh, from that Friday, and uh, I think the, the the sense coming back is that uh, what people want uh, above all is more information. Uh, that um, uh, and that is what uh, this morning's event was about, really, to provide them with. Uh, uh, that information, in terms of uh, what are the issues, the in the near term that they're that they're facing. So, what are they, the key uh, issues? What's, well, what's the main issue? <clears throat> well, we undertook a survey actually uh, as well uh, from June twenty fourth of uh, about one hundred and seventy uh, Irish uh, food and drink exporters, and uh, the. Most significant concern uh, in the near term is about exchange rate volatility and how to manage it.
0: And starting, of course, at a 31-year low, record low uh, at the minute, which isn't helpful.
1: Exactly. Now, if you look back over the last five five to six years, uh, the uh, currency has been... uh, within the uh, current limits uh, but it is really pushing the outer limits at this stage uh, so it is starting to uh, I think uh, uh, create a significant uh, challenge for exporters particularly when they have been uh, dealing with a, a, a much um, a better position say even just six months ago
0: yeah let's just put this into context because we've got about 4.4 billion euros worth of
1: exports to That's the right. UK food exports yes. to the UK it's about 41% of our overall food exports exactly we export more food and drink Uh, to the UK than we do to all other European uh, Union member states combined, so it's extremely important to us. Okay. What's the second biggest market of interest? The second biggest market is actually the United States, uh, and uh, uh, interestingly China is now the fifth largest market, that is coming up the rankings very fast, so the industry is uh, building markets internationally, the fastest growing markets last year actually were to be found in North America, in Asia and the Middle East. and is the UK is
0: the percentage going to the UK? Is that is that falling? Is it sort of gradually creeping downwards over time? It is
1: yes, but right. it is still clearly very significant. And for uh, virtually all sectors of uh, that make up the Irish food and drink industry, it is its single most important. In fact, only the sheep meat and seafood sectors uh, is it not the, the largest market. In those cases, it's France.
0: Okay. And, and knowing that, uh, in terms of this short-term volatility, is it possible to in any way? Uh, put a figure or to uh, put some sort of context around what the impact let's say this year might be for the food industry in terms
1: of revenues or in terms of jobs that might be uh, impacted? That's difficult. Uh, We also asked uh, companies in the survey what impact uh, the uh, Brexit would have uh, on their exports to the UK market and while four out of ten said that uh, Their exports uh, were likely to decline. Uh, Six out of ten did not actually exercise that option. They were adopting a wait and see attitude. uh, About one in uh, five of them uh, were saying that uh, uh, we think uh, exports would remain unchanged. So there was a certain amount of wait and see. Right, okay. Larry Morton, you're
0: at the coalface very much so. Uh, Why don't you just tell us a little bit, for the benefit of the listeners, tell us about Don uh, Farm Foods, uh, what you do, and your exposure to the UK market? Uh,
3: Don Farms is probably um one of the largest producers and exporters of prepared consumer foods um, in ireland we ship products to more than 40 countries around the world um, we produce very specialist products that become ingredients cooked meat ingredients in other people's finished products whether that's a qsr chain a casual dining chain a fast food chain or any amount of branded or own label convenience foods on supermarket shelves that might contain protein which we manufacture.
0: Right, and your exposure to the UK market?
3: UK represents between 30 and 35 percent of our total market. It's, Is that total revenues? Yep, total revenues and it's a very uh, significant uh, exposure indeed uh, which I might add we manage and have managed uh, on a risk uh, you know a risk management hedging basis for quite some time for a long time actually um, so my immediate concerns for my own company are a little just beyond the short term um, uh, I'm more concerned about the short- and medium-term impact on the industry, and I'm less concerned about the longer-term trading impact. For now, I don't think any of us can illustrate that just yet. Just focus on the here and now. Just, no, well, I think we have to focus on the next couple of years because uh, uh, Britain is a massively important market to Ireland uh, and the Irish food industry. And to put it into a context, uh, Aidan referred to America uh, being the next. and it's important to just, I suppose distinguish the fact that that alcohol represents a very big portion of the number that goes to make up America. So whiskey sales and so whiskey forth. sales and so forth. So it's food represents the vast majority of sales, even though board be a measure both, but food uh, represents the vast majority of what's sold into the UK. So that food is meat, it's dairy or it's prepared consumer foods or any combination yeah. of things.
0: Did you expect this uh, vote, did you expect this leave uh,
3: result and had you done any contingency planning in advance of the referendum result? It's a great question. Um, the answer is no, I did not expect. Yes, we contingency plan lots of scenarios in our business because a lot of our major customers depend on us um, either as a significant per, part of their supply chain or indeed in some cases, an exclusive part of their supply chain. So, contingency, but here's the problem. Until Brexit happened, you couldn't possibly predict what what you'd actually have to make contingency plans for. Everything was just a hypothesis before mm. that. And so, um, the calamitous statements by one side of the campaign saying the following is going to happen if we leave. Uh, financial markets in turmoil, mm-hmm. property prices coming down, investment leaving Britain and so on. We're still only 10 days after mm. the event. so. But all those things, there's actual evidence of them happening out there in the marketplace. I don't know how long that will sustain for, but they are happening and they have brought sterling on a journey from uh, mid-range, mean average 2014-2015 of about 74 uh, cents to the euro, um, or uh, pence, uh, 74 sterling uh, to the euro, uh, to today's point of probably 85.5 as we start this interview and that, any way you cut it, is a 15 to 16% depreciation. And that means that an Irish company who gave a customer the benefit of that rate in 2014, 2015, as most did, because let's face it, nobody is carrying that size of a buffer in their p and It's just not realistic. Britain is one of the most competitive places in the world to do business. So most Irish companies, would have passed along the competitive benefit of that exchange rate in 2014-15 perhaps even more from before it has been as low as 71 at times during that period Um, and many smes started on their uh, exporting journey during that period with the benefit of those exchange rates and as and when their cover expires which frankly i don't know is that tomorrow or next week, but it's probably not very much longer than next quarter or at a push the quarter after that. Those (coughs) companies and the whole food sector is facing a huge challenge around basic cost recovery on the one hand and Ireland Inc's competitiveness on the other. So how serious is this for your business? Mm -hmm. I mean, does this threaten jobs potentially? Um, In our case, uh, I don't think it will threaten jobs. Um, I think it it will threaten jobs in the food industry. Um, I can't just see the circumstances that it will threaten jobs in Don Farms, uh, but then we're only doing what we're doing for 32 years. We're pretty experienced when it comes to exporting and managing risk we ship product to 40 countries, so we're well used to trading. So and, you're and diversified, but still, we're diversified. Yeah, but no, nonetheless, there will be bridges to be crossed and new paths and ways around uh, that we have to find. But I really do have a huge concern about the whole sector, and especially the SMEs within the sector, um, that they won't be able to bridge that. And I'm not saying I can bridge it. But I think because of the length of time that our relationships are established, yeah. we will find ways. They won't be easy ways. They will be painful, but we will find ways.
0: Yeah, I'll bring Owen Burke-Kennedy in at this point. Owen, um, SMEs, take up that point from Larry about SMEs. They're the ones that are really uh, uh, yeah,
4: well, I, I just, in, to just in trouble
0: here because somebody, a big company like Dawn... Uh, which is diversified, a lot of global markets and so on they are hedged uh, in terms of their currency. A lot of these uh, small players in the Irish food industry aren't hedged, are they?
4: No, I think a recent survey actually reflected the fact that about 75% of companies in Ireland didn't hedge against sterling now, preferring instead to kind of, I suppose, ride the, the surf of of the currency fluctuation. So uh, a massive move uh, leaves them very exposed. Now, I, I know the 31-year the low for sterling today is kind of grabbing the headlines, but we should point out that is the kind of uh, sterling Dollar ratio, the, the slide against the euro has been less pronounced. And that probably reflects the eurozone economy's exposure to England itself. So, nonetheless, um, yeah, absolutely. You'd imagine the big companies like ABP, you know, Kerry and Dairy Gold do, uh, hedge regularly against the currency, but uh, against fluctuations in the currency, but the smaller companies, you know, not so much. Another aspect of it is, um, you know, we're at, uh, as I said, we're at about 85% or 85 pence today, which brings us back to about 2011 levels, which was the height of the eurozone debt crisis, if you remember. Uh, Not uncharted territory, but if we were to approach 90, uh, I think we're we're definitely in an area where where most uh, people in the sector have not experienced, you know, any time in recent decades. And then uh, I suppose, you know, a weaker sterling, the immediate effect might be a pickup in cross-border shopping, which might have a knock-on effect for VAT. That's where we might see it hitting, uh, you know, sooner rather than later. It's it's difficult to really predict. Yeah.
0: Um, Let, let's talk about the excise returns a, a little bit. We had um, figures for the first half of this year. Uh, good numbers, I think it's fair to say. But yeah, uh, not
4: obviously, any of the Brexit, of course,
0: and certain. and the minister has the minister for finance, Michael Noonan, has already said that our growth uh, next year will potentially be down as a result of the slowdown in the UK economy and the spillover effect. Um, for Ireland, what do we have to say this week following the Exchequer return? Well,
4: uh, initially he actually said that, 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 that yes, our our growth projections will be uh, will be less next year on the basis of the kind of slowdown investment leading up to Brexit. But I think he was banking, uh, like many people, uh, on a Remain win- side winning. Now that uh, that hasn't come to pass, it's it's nearly inevitable that our growth projections for next year will. We retrenched further, and that's going to have implications for the fiscal space. But most mandarins in the Department of Finance have told me and reflected at uh, the Exchequer figures launch that they don't believe their fiscal projections for this year are going to be affected. This is the one billion euro. This uh, is the one billion billion euro. So there was, as I mentioned, a slight concern of where VAT might go if uh, in the short term, but. As to the big uh, metrics, uh, they reckon it's not going to be affected this year, hopefully. Yeah.
0: Uh, Aidan Cotter, Board BIA State Agency. Obviously, what can uh, what is Board BIA preparing to do to help Irish food exporters uh, <laughs> to
1: Britain? Well, uh, again, in the context of the currency, let me go back to the survey for a moment and we asked uh, uh, the exporters what uh, they would do in the context of uh, the currency changes that were taking place. At that time, of the survey about a week ago, uh, sterling was at 83p. And um, one-third said they would search out new markets, and the remaining two-thirds two, uh, two thirds, uh, were looking at uh, other priorities like, for example, uh, reducing their costs and uh, seeking to recover the currency loss through higher prices. Uh, so these are the areas uh, that uh, I suppose uh, companies can focus on uh, going forward. Uh, it does the issue of market diversification on the one hand, reducing costs and uh, recovering uh, uh, through higher prices on the other. Now, that's going to be a very difficult one, recovering costs in uh, the kind of environment that seems to be evolving in the UK, uh, where uh, there is uh, now a danger of recession, uh, where uh, consumer prices are set to rise and con- while consumer spending uh, is, un- is under downward pressure. Uh, so we have a-, a series of activities that we have put underway under the heading of Managing uh, uh, volatility, Managing currency volatility, so there is a, a workshop on July the, uh, the 20th uh, where we will uh, be working with our exporters in terms of how to manage that volatility uh, and it will take into account uh, the financial aspects like hedging and so on but also how to negotiate uh, with customers uh, and manage uh, the business uh, in that uh, changing environment. Uh, We're also uh, working with them in terms of deepening customer engagement. Uh, So uh, we have a series of buyer events that start in early September and that will run through uh, to the uh, end of – early September until the end of uh, uh, December. And uh, lots of one-to-one engagement uh, with our customers, with 40 leading customers, in fact, uh, over that period as well. Uh, We um, (coughs) are also um, uh, on the export front. Uh, We've just opened a new office in Warsaw this month. And uh, we have opened uh, a new office also this month in Singapore to service uh, Eastern Europe and uh, Southeast Asia, respectively. Uh, and uh, there are a number of uh, trade missions, new trade missions to Asia and to Africa also uh, in the plans uh, for Uh, for the the autumn period.
0: Are there opportunities for Ireland out of all of this? Um, Their name escapes me, but there's a big chicken processor in the north, and I read recently that they were thinking of possibly relocating to the Republic uh, if there was a Brexit vote. Um, I mean, are those kind of opportunities realistic in the food industry in the same way that the Ireland, let's
1: say, in financial services or or other sectors? Well, I would imagine uh, in terms of what market you're you're servicing, uh, if you're servicing the UK market, for example, in the uh, current environment, uh, I would imagine that being located in the UK market itself uh, is obviously a big advantage. And uh, that is uh, the challenge facing a lot of our exporters into the UK market at the present time, uh, where most of your competition is coming from local sterling-based manufacturers. There's a real challenge ahead. If most of your competition is coming from uh, imports from other Europe-based areas, then uh, that's uh, uh, perhaps uh, uh, another uh, issue uh, to face. Uh, so uh, location, um, uh, if you're servicing the European, why the European market, uh, I I would expect uh, there is probably more certainty from locating in Ireland uh, than uh, uh, locating in in a market that uh, is unlikely to be part of the European Union going forward.
0: Yeah, Larry.
3: Um, a, a number of questions there, Kieran. Um, uh, the the uh, uh, there is a Northern Irish-owned chicken processor whose parent company is going to establish uh, an office base here in. Uh, Dublin or so they say, Um, but that's not to process product, that's to have an international trading office here. Uh, They're a Brazilian owned company. Um, I think going back to a point Owen made about the 2011 rate if I may, um, people traded from 2011 through 2012, 13, 14, 15 and to now and Customers get used to uh, the dynamic of a rate that's prevailing for a period of time. The customers are not ignorant to that fact whatsoever. So, we migrated from that 11 rate to where we are now, and it's been a long journey. And I've been through the journey with several customers. So, they will be absolutely shocked to their core that they are facing down the barrel of a 15, 16 percent. Potential cost increase in a quarter or two quarters, and there won't be too many people who are hedged beyond that. Um, there might be one or two who have slightly longer positions, but that'll you'll find that that'll be what the best will be, and there'll be so many who won't be hedged at all. So there'll be many customers looking. It won't be about what rate we withstood in 2011, because frankly, where we are now, uh, this food industry that. Aidan and I represent or, and work in uh, people consider it to be a pretty resilient industry, and it begins inside the farm gate with a hundred thousand Irish farm families, and outside the farm gate with the hundred thousand employees who are involved in all the different direct and indirect aspects of how food is processed, sold, shipped, transported, etc. The packaging that the food is put into, everything. So it's, it's the country's largest indigenous industry. There's 200,000 or just over 200,000 jobs in it and about 28 billion of revenue and about 12 billion of total exports, 11 billion of total exports, I think, maybe more accurately, and 4.1 or 4.2 billion of that going to the UK. You can't switch that off and switch it into another market. It takes years literally years. it It's absolutely worthy doing, all the time seeking to develop new platforms to trade on, but it's not something we could replace if it went tomorrow. It would take us years to do. So it would rip a huge hole in the industry and the capability and the jobs and all that goes with it. This Brexit is unprecedented. The industry has never had to deal with any set of events like it before. We've had foot and mouth, we've had mad cow, we've had dioxin, we've had a couple of less major sterling crises than this. We've had sterling and the EMU, we've had uh, an 01 sterling crisis, an 09 sterling crisis, but we've not had anything like this with the significant ripple effects that this has. And I think from an industry practitioner standpoint, my position would be that all the stakeholders... um, the industry, the farming community and the government need to stand together to make sure that we take whatever measures are necessary and interpret or seek interpretations of European rules that accommodate the country's largest indigenous sector to protect that sector once we understand a little bit more about what some of the short-to-medium terms What can the government do or what, what could the EU do to help the sector? Um well you know the 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 detailed what they can do would have to be teased through frankly but um what they can't do is do nothing okay that's not an option because there's so many so uh, so much investment and so many tens of thousands of jobs involved in this sector um That we absolutely, I'm not saying we rush to to the Mm. pumps now, we have to assess and really evaluate what's required. And then we have to figure out what measures, be they financial or otherwise, that are required to make sure that companies maintain market share and keep Irish food flowing into markets that we have traditionally served
0: uh, Aiden, I suppose uh, the flip side of all of this we, we've been talking about Irish exports. The flip side is the import situation, maybe from the UK. H- how big a business is that? And uh, I, I guess there's upside for uh, British exporters to Ireland uh, from this current uh, sterling situation.
1: Yeah, according to the Food, Drink, and, uh, and Federation in the UK, uh, about over three billion euro worth of imports come into Ireland um, from the UK. In fact, Ireland is uh, the UK's single biggest export market for food and drink, the UK exports more to Ireland than it does to its next two most important markets, namely France and Netherlands combined. So there's actually a significant mutual interdependence uh, interdependence between uh, the two industries. And what kind of imports are we talking about? What products? We're generally talking about uh, more higher added value uh, packaged consumer goods uh, whereas uh, Ireland's exports to the UK are uh, strong in primary production, like uh, beef, uh, uh, we send something like 250,000 tons of beef uh, to Britain, uh, and to the dairy products, for example, 65% of our cheddar goes into the UK market. And then, of course, there's uh, prepared foods and beverages. They are the main sectors that make up our exports into the UK.
0: Yeah, Larry, is there a threat to Irish businesses from um, you know cheap imports coming in from the UK?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely.
0: What impact might that
3: have on your business? Um, it'll probably have um, a small impact on our business because we don't actually transact very much business on the island of Ireland. 90% plus of what we do is exported to other markets around Europe and the world. Um, but I would imagine that someone who's producing prepared consumer foods um prepackaged in nature where there's comparable products available from the UK of which there are many instances whether that be preserves breads biscuits confectionery uh, a whole raft of grocery items so as Aidan has said Ireland ships a lot of products abroad that we are particularly good at, and we bring products in from the UK that the UK is particularly good at. It's an entirely complementary, except there's about a 700, maybe 800 million deficit, and there is that potential, has been that potential for import replacement in the past, which Irish companies have been trying to do. But I think we're going to see the, the bar growing the other way because of that Ten to fifteen percent benefit that a UK producer now has.
0: Uh, Aidan, uh, the border is a big issue for everybody on the island. Uh, nobody really wants to see a hard border uh, reinstated, and there are concerns that you know tariffs or customs controls uh, might have to be introduced. Uh, what's your view? On that, and how might it affect the, um,
1: the food industry? Uh, there is a sig- significant cross border tr- uh, trade in primary production, crossing in either direction uh, for primary or secondary processing in either location. There is, for example, a billion litres of milk uh, produced in the northern north of Ireland that are processed in the south of Ireland, uh, a very significant uh, business indeed. Uh, there is uh, about ten thousand uh, pigs uh, being exported uh, northwards uh, every week for processing uh, and also there is a very significant downward uh, 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 export of uh, sheep into Ireland, into the Republic of Ireland for processing. Uh, And uh, this will have to be clearly a big priority in terms of the negotiations that go on between the European Union and the and UK uh, because uh, uh, to interrupt that flow would have major ramifications either side of the border.
0: And that has to be a priority for the Irish government, I guess?
1: Absolute uh, priority for the uh, Irish government, indeed. But I think the whole uh, uh, configuration of our food and drink exports and uh, the mutual in, uh, interdependence between the two countries has to be a huge priority for Ireland uh, in the EU's negotiations with the UK. Uh, that has to be recognised uh, because, as Larry said, you can cannot overnight, for example, uh, uh, shift uh, product from one uh, uh, country to another without incurring in major uh, uh, dislocation, uh, so uh, we need uh, to have have a, a, a situation developed that can be as close as possible to where we are at the present mm. time uh, and the, the, the close somebody said today at uh, this morning 's uh, conference, for example, that Ireland has been exporting beef over to the UK under various legislative uh, um, uh, arrangements uh, since one thousand six hundred and sixty uh, so this is a very long established trade. We share similar consumer preferences driven by uh, similar attitudes and behaviours uh, and there's um, a long history of trading with one another. And um, um, that has to be, has, has be recognised in whatever uh, re- a resolution is, is sought. Yeah. Did Bourbon expect a Brexit vote? Uh, we were uh, ready for it. Uh, it was the only uh, 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 scenario that we actually had been planning for. Clearly you don't plan for a remain one. Uh, and uh, so we were um, clear that uh, the one thing we were going to do on, on the Friday, June the 24th, was we were going to start talking, engaging deeply with our customers, and we were going to issue a survey. And we issued a survey uh, to our customers that day, and we've been talking to them uh, uh, very um, in a very engaged way ever since. And it was that which led to this morning's uh, event, uh, which was... Um, uh, Oversubscribed. In fact, we had to close off at subscri- subscriptions yesterday. We had well over 200 people there. There was a real thrust for information uh, and for a, a better understanding as to what the challenges are ahead, the yeah. near-time challenges and the challenges beyond that rising from the negotiations.
0: Larry, are you happy with the job board BR doing in, in this regard? Is the survey enough, or is, is that is that an acceptable starting point and,
3: and you move on from there?
1: Sorry, there is a lot more than the survey, by S- the survey way. Survey aside,
3: sorry, I did the 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 job board beer do for the industry is frankly second to none, and I'm not saying that because Aidan is sitting beside me. Uh, board provides is a source of invaluable insight and intelligence for the sector, not to mention marketing presence at major food fairs, and reputational um, excellence in terms of telling our global customers out in the marketplace what Ireland can be for them, and the opportunities for the Irish food industry. So I, I have no qualms about what Bia do, and um, they're a tremendous organisation. This morning's event, I'm a long time going <coughs> to Bia events and general industry events, this morning's event was unprecedented in terms of interest and attendance. And so it just goes back to the point I was making to you about the, the Brexit itself being completely unprecedented yeah. in terms of a, an issue for the industry to handle. And we
0: see, I mean, everybody talk, well, some of the Brexiteers talk about uh, the trade deal that uh, Britain, or that Canada, sorry, has done with uh, the European Union and that Britain could replicate it, something like that. But actually, that trade deal has been going on since 2009 and it hasn't been ratified yet. So, sure. we could, Aidan Cotter, we could be in for years of uncertainty uh, in relation to the future relationship between EU and Britain, and you know the knock-on impact that has on currencies and on markets and investment and so forth.
1: Yes. Um- In terms of currencies, uh, 70% of Ireland's food and drink exports are to uh, non-euro areas. Uh, So the industry has uh, uh, a very long history and experience of dealing with currency volatility Mm -hmm. on the scale uh, that uh, Larry has been uh, uh, very uh, graphically illustrating uh, in such a short time, it's been quite uh, unprecedented, I I think. Uh, So there is a real challenge uh, as as Larry has so uh, well described it there. Uh, But um, I think um, just going back to uh, how our industry competes, uh, we have a very unique industry in this uh, country in terms of uh, how it comes together and how it represents itself uh, uh, internationally. It's working to the Foodwise 2025 20, uh, 10-year plan uh, so there's a cohesiveness in terms of how the industry works together and I know uh, Minister Creed has set uh, up a consultative committee uh, representing <coughs> all sectors of farming and food which will inform uh, the negotiations as we go forward. I would just also add that um, Borbill's Argent Green programme for example has brought together over 50,000 farmers and over 500 uh, Irish food and drink manufacturers uh, in a unique programme of national sustainability that is without precedence uh, in the world. And later uh, this autumn, we will um, go public with this uh, to engage uh, with the Irish consumers in terms of the unique commitments that Irish industry is making. And I think it will be very relevant at, at this time, uh, given the pressures that are going to be on the industry, many of them competing with uh, UK imports, benefiting from a cheaper sterling. Uh, and I think it is very important to highlight to the Irish consumers the unique commitments and what really sets the Irish food and drink industry apart, and what differentiates sure. it.
0: Larry, you're talking about a minister for Brexit uh, in the UK and this new cabinet possibly led by Theresa May. Um, do you think we should have a, a minister for Brexit in Ireland, given the importance of the whole issue uh, for Ireland and the economy here, or even a junior minister, perhaps, to take it on
3: as a brief? Um, too early for me to call that or to, to, to row in with that. Um, I, I, I do believe that this is going to require proactive, unprecedented government action in the context of where we are today within a, our position in Europe, B, the markets and jobs that Ireland Inc. has to protect and nurture into the future and not to fritter the investment. And just that the point, one of the points I made this morning is that this industry is as important to Ireland Inc. or perhaps relatively more important than the automobile industry is to Germany. So if there was a threat to that industry in Germany there would be action at the highest level of government, and that's what the industry is expecting in a short period of time from our government, working together to figure out how everybody stays in the game and goes forward.
4: I'd like to just say one point. I mean, there's a correct assumption that any sort of, um, I suppose, imposition of border controls or tariffs uh, would damage the trade here. And I think that's a a very correct assumption. But there's just so many imponderables attached to this Brexit vote. You could imagine a scenario where Britain came out of the EU, did some deal with Mercosur and saw cheap, uh, cheap beef coming into Britain. At that point, you could imagine the beef industry here wanting those controls to be put in place because I think the biggest threat to our beef industry is South American beef. But let's be clear on that, Owen. Um,
3: tr- trade deals will take uh, the, the route of exit, if exit it is, because that, that could also change. But the route of exit, if exit it is, will take time to evolve. Trade deals as a consequence will take time to evolve. If Irish beef were to increase in price by 15 or 20% tomorrow to the UK, then that would hasten the path to South America or other places where the UK buyers could buy that beef. And they would ultimately develop supply chains that support their economy. Because at the end of the day, The UK is one of the most sophisticated food and prepared consumer food markets in the world, bar none. And it has the systems and manufacturing systems and distribution systems set up to support that. Just look at the variety of products and supermarket shelves in Britain. It is phenomenal. You won't find it anywhere, with the possible exception of Japan, and I don't think you can compare those two places. Mind you, it
0: does seem crazy to be importing beef from South America to Britain and Ireland uh, when we've so much of it on our doorstep anyway, uh, in this age of climate change and uh, green energy and all of that kind of stuff.
3: Sure. But you know, uh, economics matter. Economics matter. Britain is a highly, highly competitive market in which to sell food today. It is a highly competitive economy. In, you know the value of things um, is is significantly sharper, I think, than the value of things here. Yeah, Aidan, do
0: you but, care to positive view as to what relationship Britain might have going forward with the EU and the? You know, post uh, triggering Article Fifty, and and what which relationship might be most beneficial for the Irish food industry?
1: Well, uh, there are pluses and minuses attached to every single model that's been put forward, uh, and maybe it, it is a new model uh, that uh, the UK and the EU uh, will ev- eventually forge. Uh, I would be optimistic that uh, the. Um, mutual interdependencies between the European Union and the UK will be recognised and that over time, uh, in the cool light of day, and there is a lot of emotion at either side at the present time, uh, that uh, realism will prevail and that there will be um, a resolution uh, arrived at uh, that will uh, be satisfactory to both sides. It has to be. Uh, we're all part of uh, this uh, similar, uh, of, of Europe still, uh, irrespective of uh, whether we're the islands or part of the of the, of the continent. And I think uh, <coughs> there is, as you mentioned, in terms of sustainability, for example, why would you, why would you ship uh, primary products uh, halfway around the world uh, when it's right on your own doorstep? And i would be optimistic the reason would prevail in that regard. There are lots of considerations, for example, how the British uh, will support their farmers or whether they will support their farmers, whether they will, uh, for example, replicate the kind of payments mm. uh, that uh, Europe is, is paying to their farmers, uh, whether uh, uh, they will uh, support the level of the price levels uh, that are in the market. If, for example, South American beef were admitted, that would lead to a reduction in price and a lower return to British farmers. Uh, and also there are the environmental issues in terms of how we produce uh, in the European Union, as uh, how we uh, how it is produced uh, outside. And there are a lot of issues uh, uh, to be taken into account. And I think it's going to take some time uh, to uh, see how those are going to. Uh, okay. I know you're solve. planning
0: to retire at the end of the year. You might have timed it well, giving all of the uncertainty that's uh, that, that's going to be around for the next uh, couple of years uh, in this sector. Uh, we, we leave it there for uh, this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to Joe Lynham, to Aidan Cotter, Larry Murn, and Owen Burke Kennedy, Declan Conlon the show with Gary White uh sound engineer don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook I'm Kieran Hancock until next time take care